I just appreciate so much the opportunity to share with you this morning. So in his absence, I've been assigned the, uh, the duty of kicking off this new sermon series called Women of Faith. Now, let me say this. this. This series is not just for women. This is for all of us. Just like women can learn from men in the, Bibles, in the Bible, men can learn from women in the Bible. So this is for all of us. There is actually women included in this. There's a, there's a portion of scripture in Hebrews called the Hall of Faith, and there are women included in that. And so we just want to make sure that you guys understand that this series, Women of Faith, is for all of us. We're going to learn so much from God's word, and it's for all of us. So today, I get to start in the book of Esther. Now, the book of Esther is unique in that God is not mentioned by name in the book. However, God is the star of the book. Even though you do not see his name mentioned, he's there. He is right there in the, in the middle of it. Not in a, a miraculous kind of burning bush, part the Red Sea, manna from heaven kind of way, but he's there nonetheless. Co- commentary writer Matthew Henry said this about this book. God's name is not in this book, but God's hand certainly is in it. And while you won't find his name, we do see a characteristic of God in this book that we don't often talk about, and that is his providence, the providential presence of God. Now, his providential presence is different than his miraculous presence. The miraculous presence of God is seen when he overturns the laws of nature and produces a miracle. But in his providence, what we see is that God takes the natural and uses it supernaturally. He takes things that happen in our normal, everyday lives, and he moves in those things. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So in God's providence, he can choose to use whatever he wants to, to as whatever he sees fit to accomplish his purposes. He can even use a pagan king in a foreign land to save his people. He can use a Jewish girl in the court of a Persian king to thwart the plans of evil. Now, we may not understand this. This may not make any sense to us, and this may even be uncomfortable to our sensibilities of God. But our great God, you guys, does not owe us an explanation for how he works. This brings up another one of his characteristics, and that is that he is a sovereign God. That simply means he has power and authority. And I don't know about you, but I actually like the fact that I serve a big God that is so big and so holy other that I don't understand the way he moves all of the time. And I can't ever comprehend all there is to know about him. My heart actually echoes a sentiment that Kay Warren said when she said this. She said, I would rather walk every day in the darkness with a God who remains a mystery to me than in the light with a God I completely understand. So I would ask you this, if we could completely understand everything there was to know about him, if his ways were not a mystery to us, if if he were not a miraculous, providential, sovereign God beyond our comprehension, what would make him different than earthly kings, one of which is about to be coronated, or our president, or any other ruler in today's day and age, if he were not providential, if he were not sovereign, if he did not know more than we knew, if we knew everything there was about him, what would make him God? 
And even though this frustrates us, and even though we may not be able to answer all the why questions, I find comfort in knowing that our God is not to be understood, that he is beyond us, that he is incomprehensible and divine, that he is a good God and his goodness sometimes challenges our faith and pushes us to kind of stand on the precipice where we have to let go of control. Greg Keener says this, God is consistent with his nature and declared purposes in scripture, but he is not limited to our finite understanding of him or the ways we think he should work. So we're going to see how God works in the book of Esther. We're going to watch as his providence is displayed in this book. And it may not make sense, but it is still nonetheless who our God is and how he takes the natural things of life and weaves them together to produce supernatural results. Now, I think it's important for us to get a little bit of background on Esther because context is always important. That helps us understand how to apply scripture to our lives today. So the context of this book of Esther is that it is one in five books in the Hebrew Bible that is read every year at the Feast of Purim. And that is just a feast that celebrates the freedom that the Jews gained in the context of this book of the Bible and Esther. And you can see that if you read the whole of the book, how they were released and delivered. Now, also, without this book, we would not know or understand any of what happened to the Jewish people after they were captured by the Babylonians. And what we see in the book of Esther is that the Babylonians captured the Jewish people, but then the Babylonians were defeated by the Medes and then the Persians. And then after they were, the Babylonians were defeated, this Persian king then tells them, you can go back to your homeland and rebuild Jerusalem. But only about 50,000 of them go back to rebuild. One million of them decide to stay in this foreign land, in this foreign place. And so what we see here is that we have this foreign people in this foreign land, and now we have Esther, who is a foreigner. Now, all of this makes sense. If you just follow, follow the story here, it will all make sense eventually. Because Esther, this is all unknown to her. And we'll talk more about that here in a minute. But because we can't read the whole story, I've read the, I've, I read the, the whole book of Esther a few times just getting ready for this sermon. But it's too long for us to read today. That would take the whole time. So I'm going to do something a little interesting. No, I'm not going to rap like Pastor Chris has done. But I am going to read you the story of Esther summarized in Dr. Seuss style. Are you ready? Here we go. In a faraway land of Shushan, so grand, there lived a king named Bidhasuerus who thought he was the man. He threw a feast that lasted 187 days and showed off his riches in so many ways. He called for Queen Vashti, his beautiful wife, to show off her beauty and dazzle his life. But she refused to come to the king's great ire, so he banished her forever, never to admire. Then came Esther, a young and lovely maid, who became the queen with her beauty displayed. But no one knew that she was a Jew, and danger was lurking. That much was true. Haman was the king's advisor so cruel who despised the Jews and wanted to rule. He convinced the king to decree a law to kill all the Jews and not leave a flaw. Mordecai, Esther's cousin, was wise and brave, and he urged Esther to speak up and save her people from this evil plan to foil Haman's scheme and show him no hand. Esther was hesitant, afraid to speak, but Mordecai reminded her the situation was bleak. She risked her life and spoke to the king, revealing her heritage and everything. 
The king was surprised and changed his decree. He punished Haman and set the Jews free. Mordecai was honored and Esther too, and the Jews celebrated with joy anew. So let us remember the story of Esther so grand, how God used her to thwart an evil plan. Her faith and her bravery will always inspire to risk it all and never tire. There's the story of Esther. <laughs> so that's just a quick overarching summary of the entire book. Now, I would, I would encourage you to read the entirety of the book, but today we're just going to focus on just a few verses out of this book of the Bible. And we're going to start in Esther 2. If you were wondering whether we were going to get to the actual story in the Bible, yes, we are. We're just going to do it in style. So Esther 2, 5 through 11, read this with me. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shammai, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Jeconai, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Hegai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put into custody of Hegai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now, if you don't hear anything I say this morning, or if that Sunday afternoon nap is about to kick in really quickly here, prop your eyelids open, set up. This is the big tap on the shoulder moment for us in the story of, of Esther. Now, what we're going to do with the story of Esther is we're going to look at how God used Esther. And in the process, we're going to take a good, long, loving look at who our God is. And what we see here is that God is a God of providence. And here's the tap on the shoulder for you. He can use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. Esther was an orphan. She was living with a cousin in a foreign land. Remember, the Jewish people are foreigners in this land. A young girl of foreign descent, a marginalized people group, and she was a woman in a pagan culture where women were often treated with little more dignity than animals. So let's summarize. She's young, she's an orphan, she's marginalized, she's living in a foreign land, and she was a woman. Yet God used her to do extraordinary things. You guys, God can use anyone, regardless of their circumstance, to accomplish his purposes. Remember, he's a providential God. Our God is. He's fully capable of taking the most ordinary to extraordinary through the guidance of his hand. And some of you sitting here in this space today, you think, I just have this ordinary, mundane life of no consequence. And you look at your life and you say, yep, I get up, I go to work, I come home, I go to bed, and then I hit repeat with very few variations on the theme every single day. My, my life is not this wow life. There's nothing wow about me. I'm a nobody. Hear me when I say this to you. Nobody is a nobody in the kingdom of God. 
I'm going to say that again. Nobody is a nobody in the kingdom of God. The story of Esther is for you. It is us. It's all of us. Esther and Mordecai, they are us in another time and another place. And what I mean is this. This is a story of a Jewish girl who is elevated to queen in the court of a pagan king. Someone ordinary elevated to a position that God through his providence uses to save an entire group of people from genocide. And what you need to know today, friends, is this. As Oswald Chambers said, all of God's people are ordinary people who have been made extraordinary by the purpose he has given them. God has a long track record of calling people that the world thinks are lightweights, cowards, no good, ordinary folk to make them great in his service. Acts 4.13 says this, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Just as Peter and John were ordinary men used by God, Esther was used by God, and he has that track record of using ordinary, unsuspecting people to do extraordinary things. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you think about the whole of Scripture, the whole of the Bible, there is story after story of God using ordinary people to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. God used a shepherd boy to kill a giant. He used three teenagers to teach a pagan king about the powerful God who could deliver them from a furnace. He used a prostitute to help his people win a battle. He used a rebellious, murdering, adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter to lead the Jewish people to freedom. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Joseph was sold into slavery. Gideon was afraid and Timothy was too young. Jonah ran from God. Ruth was a widow. Peter denied Christ. Martha worried about everything. Zacchaeus was too small. Lazarus was dead. John the Baptist ate bugs. He did. And Esther was a Jewish girl with just a pretty face. God has a track record of using ordinary, sometimes weird people, to do extraordinary things. And you are no different no different. All of the people I listed were ordinary, imperfect people that God used to do extraordinary things. And you guys, my God can use you too. And he wants to. Our question, the question for us today is, will we let him? But remember, extraordinary looks different to us than it does to God. Your extraordinary thing may be raising the next Esther of this generation. Moms, that might be, and dads, that might be your extraordinary thing that you do. Your extraordinary thing may be the person that you sit next to at the office. You are there to lead them to the Lord. They might be the next Billy Graham. What you do on this side of eternity is only determined as extraordinary through the eyes of an extraordinary God. Extraordinary looks different. And while this story of Esther is that she saved a whole people group from genocide, our extraordinary thing might not be as flashy, but it's still extraordinary nonetheless when God is in it. 
First Corinthians 10:31 says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all of it to the glory of God. Everything we do, if we will do it to the glory of God, he can take the interwoven pieces of our life and make it extraordinary for the kingdom of God. Allow him, him to do this is a matter of posture, a matter of trust, and a matter of intentionality. It's a matter of boldness. And this is another thing that we can learn from the story of Esther about God, that God is a powerful God and he can give us the courage we need in difficult circumstances to do extraordinary things for him. God's power, he can give us the courage for bold faith. Esther, she faced significant opposition when she decided to speak up for her people. You know, I think, I think we like to romanticize this story of Esther. I think we like to think that she walked in, I mean, wow, she got to be the queen. She got to walk into this opulent palace and she got to have all of these cosmetics and all of these women to wait on her and all of these things. But if you think about it, really think about it, historically, contextually, from Esther's point of view, she was a Jewish girl who was rounded up by a pagan king, by his officials, and she was placed in a harem of hundreds of women. This was against her faith. This was against everything she knew to be true. And it also caused her to have to give up any dreams she might have had of having a traditional Jewish marriage where she was the only woman in her husband's life, a life where they would have children and raise them in the Jewish faith. Everything about this was a far cry from anything Esther ever dreamed her life would be. She had to have a tremendous amount of courage to do all that she did. She had to endure a lot. And she humbly accepted her plight in life and found favor among the king's servants. And eventually she found favor with the king. Then Haman began to plot against the Jews. And the king then unwittingly signed an edict that would destroy all the Jews in their land. And Mordecai asked to talk ask her to talk to the king, and she replies to Mordecai's request. And look at this in chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. What an amazingly brave, strong young woman Esther was. She said, if I perish, I perish. But where does that kind of bravery, where does that kind of courage come from? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. And then Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You guys, we don't stir up, muster. We don't muster this kind of courage within ourselves or our own strength. No, God is the giver of strength. He is the giver of power. He is the giver of love and self-control. And he upholds all of that in us with his righteous right hand. God is a God of power, and we have access to his power as his children. We draw our courage and our boldness from that. Now, Billy Graham once said this. He said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. 
Often our courage is not for us alone. It's not us alone who experiences the providence of God when we have courage. Our courage and bold faith can actually stiffen the spines of others. And so the story of Esther ends with the Jewish people having the right to fight back, and they do. Esther's courage stiffened the spines of God's people, giving them the upper hand. And then through the providence of God, the people were saved. All because this ordinary Jewish girl positioned by a providential God and emboldened by a powerful God took a stand at the right time. And let's talk about that for a second. Our God is a God of perfection who has perfect timing. He has perfect timing. Look at verses 11 through 14 in chapter 4 of Esther. Now, this is Esther talking, and this is what she's saying back to Mordecai when he asks her to go see the king. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said, and then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This verse, verse 14, is by far the most famous verse in the whole book of Esther. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So let's talk about the timing of God for just a second. This is by far something that is really probably one of the most difficult things for us as his children. And that is his timing is not our timing and we have to wait on him sometimes. Am I the only one? Ecclesiastes 9.11 says, Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happens to them all. Now the word chance in this verse of scripture is actually the Hebrew word karah. And it's translated to mean right place, right time. Karar does not actually mean chance. Actually, there is no Hebrew word that means coincidence. There is no word in all of the Hebrew language that means coincidence. Karar actually means God appointment. In other words, being at the right place at the right time and orchestrated by the Almighty. He sets up appointments in the right place at the right time. Psalm 31:15 says, "My times are in your hands." Ecclesiastes 3:1, "For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven." Esther experienced a karah moment, a God appointment, a right place at the right time moment orchestrated by the Almighty. Now, if you're a Lord of the Rings, like our family's a Lord of the Rings fan, like our family's a Lord of the Rings uh, fan, David's not the only nerd in the family. Don't want to disappoint you. But we, there's actually a point in the Lord of the Rings where Gandalf is coming into the Hobbit village and he's accused of being late. And Gandalf says this, a wizard is never late, 
nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Guys, we serve a God who is never late. He is never early. He works and moves precisely when he means to. He is perfect. He is perfect in his timing. Time is different for us. We have obligations and deadlines, and we have this narrow perspective, this narrow view, and we are impatient people. God does not struggle with this. He does not struggle with these things. His perspective is eternal. Therefore, for him, time is rooted in the eternal. So how do we posture ourselves How do we posture ourselves to dwell in that perfection of God's timing? How do we posture ourselves to experience his timing, his providence, his power in our lives? First of all, we need to be prepared. Just as Esther prepared by fasting, we prepare by staying connected to God in deep ways. Second of all, we need to be patient. Just as Esther did not ask the king for his favor the first dinner. If you read the book of Esther, there are two dinners that Esther invites Haman, the evil guy, and the king to. The first one, she just has them for dinner and they chit-chat. And then she decides, no, I'm going to wait and have another one. And she invites them to that. And then there are all of these little things that happen in the middle that are really good. You should read it. Haman's putting his place in the middle of all that. But you should go look. You go read it. I don't want to give you any spoilers if you haven't read it. But she waited. She had patience. And that's what we need to do. We need to be patient and wait on God. And then we need to be passionate. Just as Esther was passionate with her plea to the king, even at the risk of her own life, we too must be passionate about the things of God. There's a saying in Australia, it's called pulling a Bradbury. This term was coined due to, of all things, a speed skating event in the 2002 Winter Olympics. Yes, Australia is a country that does not have winter, but stick with me. February 16th, 2002 was a date for the history books. It was the night of the Winter Olympics, 100 or 1,000 meter short course speed skate in Salt Lake City. Australian competitor Stephen Bradley lined up to race in the quarterfinals. Now, Stephen Bradley had only been skating for about 12 years, and he did so without corporate sponsorships or product endorsements. During his career, his short career of 12 years, he'd actually been impaled by another competitor's skate, almost bled to death. Then he broke his neck, and they told him he would never skate again. But Bradbury fought to come back, and he made it to Salt Lake City, which was an incredible accomplishment in and of itself. However, he was by no means the fastest in his field. So when the pistol fired, Bradbury raced with all he had, and he came in third in the, fir- in the quarters. Yet he advanced to the semifinals due to a disqualification. Then, after a spill sent his opponent sprawling in the semifinal, Bradbury actually fi- found himself in the finals for the Olympic medal. Now, his competitors were quicker, but Bradley was not intimidated. He competed to the best of his ability, but it was, he was at the back of the pack the whole time. They were rounding the final corner, headed toward the finish line, and the Chinese competitor lost his footing and took out the whole rest of the heat, except for Stephen Bradbury. Stephen Bradbury, who had been in last place, crossed the finish line and won Olympic gold. So they won their first ever Australian Winter Olympic gold medal. 
And they call this pulling a Bradbury, which means being at the right place at the right time to experience unexpected success. For our purposes today, I would call that pulling an Esther. Esther, she had this God appointment in a court of a pagan king. She didn't give up. She had a purpose, business to do in this court of the pagan king for the king of kings. That was her appointment. So the question today, guys, do you trust your God? What appointments does he have for you? I'm going to ask our praise team to come up. You know, I can't, I can't answer all of the questions today about what appointments God might have for you. I don't know that. Only you and God know that. But what I do know is that we need only to have faith in the God of providence, in a God of power, and a God of perfection preparing ourselves for whatever and however he wants to move in our ordinary lives to do extraordinary things. I believe in a providential God, and this morning on my way to church, well, actually, it happened earlier, so I still on Sundays get up really early and have my quiet time with Jesus. It's just part of what I do every single day. I get up, I go to my, I have a quiet time chair, I go to my quiet time chair, I get alone with God, and I've been reading through the Bible one chapter at a time, and this week, this today, this morning, I was in Deuteronomy 31, 31. Moses is telling the people he's about to die because God had told him because of his disobedience, he would not go into the promised land with the people. But Moses is writing this book as, as a, the whole book of Deuteronomy is a book of instruction for the people because he's about to pass away and go on to be with the father. And so he's leaving these instructions and he says to them, you're about to cross the Jordan, but do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous because God goes ahead of you. We serve a God that goes ahead of us. I believe that providential God went ahead of Esther into that banquet room the night that she had dinner with the king and Haman. I believe that the providence of God goes ahead of you before you enter your office and sit in your desk chair. I believe the providence of God goes ahead of you before you wake up in the morning to parent your children or to coach that soccer team. I believe in the providence of God. I believe in a providential God. I believe in a powerful God. I believe in a God of perfect timing. And that God, who was Esther's God, is your God too. And here's what I think. I think we have spent way too long believing what the enemy says to us, that we are nobody, that we don't have anything to do for the kingdom of God. And you guys, that is just not true. That is a lie from the enemy. We're going to sing a song here in just a little bit. I think it's the first one, but maybe the second one. I am who you say I am. Do you believe that you are a child of God and that he has a purpose and a plan for your life? Or have you been sitting in the dilemma of thinking, I don't matter. 
is not true. I wonder if Esther sitting in a room of hundreds of women thought, what am I doing here? God, what are you doing? And he used that horrific circumstance in this little Jewish girl's life to save a whole people group from genocide. Now, again, our extraordinary thing might not be that flashy, but I do know that God wants to partner with you. And so today we're going to take communion. And I think we need strength for the days that we live in and the lives that we live and the places that God puts us in this day and age. I think we need strength. And so if you're a believer, your strength comes from the Lord. You are covered. You were bought with a price with the blood of Jesus and his body was broken for you. And that is where your strength comes from. So today, if you know Jesus, taking this communion is just having that intimate moment with him, touching the hem of his garment, the one who saved you, the one who gives you strength, the one who has called you for his purpose and his plan. So have that moment with him where you thank him and give him praise and ask him, give him your life. I've been praying this prayer from this monk the last few mornings. I was prompted by a devotion that I've been doing and it just simply says in that, in that prayer, it says, God, I belong to you. Do with me what you will. That's a hard prayer to pray. Do with me what you will. I stand here today only because God has done with me what he would. I'm an introvert, and this used to scare me to death. <laughs> but I know that God can do the extraordinary because he's done it in my life. I know he can do it for you too. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes real quick because there is another person in this room or online, and you may not know Jesus today and you want to place your faith in a God that loves you enough to work his providence and his power and his perfection in your life. So if you would like to accept Jesus as your savior today, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to call you out. If you would like to accept him as your savior, just lift your hand. And for those of you that already know him, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you to just ask him in this moment to give you the strength to step into his perfect will and plan for your life. Jesus, we thank you for your blood and for your body. We thank you for the saving grace of your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you we thank you, God, for that sacrifice you made in sending your son. And God, today as we take communion, I pray that we would dedicate our lives to you, being willing for you to do what you will with our lives. Father, give us the courage that Esther had, the boldness that she had. Help us to believe in your providence, in your power, and in the perfect timing of your plan, God. Today as we take communion, I pray that it would be an act of worship to you an act of complete surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.